Amen. Amen. Thank you, team, for leading us in worship. Thank you, Jackie and Tony and Hayer in the back who do so much to lead us in worship this morning. It is, um, it's a blessing to be with you. Thank you guys for welcoming my family and I, and uh, we are so ex- excited to be official, uh, official church family with you all. Um, as we come together in worship this morning, I, um, I know that some, you know, some big things have happened over the weekend. Right? I mean, you know, we, we come together and, and, you know, this is kind of the thing on everybody's mind. Um, I just want to let you know that I know that number one Clemson was beat by number four Notre Dame. I am fully aware and, um, you know, happy to see a number one team fall as somebody who constantly roots for a team that's in the lower third of the top 25. It feels good, you know. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, anyways, um, no, this is, it seems kind of like a strange time to come together. Because there has been so much change and turmoil happening over this week. And as I was thinking and praying about this Sunday and wondering what it was that that God would have us know this morning. Especially this morning um, after um, Joe Biden has been selected as president-elect this next year. That there will be a a transition in our presidency and as I was praying about this this morning, I thought, you know what, it, I think the sermon's really still the same, regardless of who holds that office. Because I think what this election has proven is something that we've all known, and that's this, that we live in a deeply divided country. Right? We, I mean, it's, it's just true. We, we've We've watched the votings come in. We've, we've seen the sheer number of people that have turned out in a record-setting election. And, and we know. Not only do we disagree on who the president should be, right? As I said last week, this is not the first election where people of faith have disagreed about who the elected officials should be in office. This is not the first time that this has happened. In fact, Christians have been doing this for For thousands of years. It seems to be more than that, right? It seems to be deeper than that. That there are so many things that that we can't agree on. And so many things that that we say, you know, choose our side. We draw kind of arbitrary lines in the sand. And we say, you know, if they they can't agree on this, if it can't be like this, then then they're not on my side and, and I'm against them. You know, the... The goal can't be for my side to win more. As we think about the direction of our country, as we think about the the direction of our society, it can't be just simply that, that me and my side need to win more often. That'll be it. Right? Like if we can just win and, and win better, you know, and, and, and do what it takes to, to achieve that, the goal cannot be just for my side to win more. Then I think that the thing that will truly set Christians apart, the thing that will set followers of Jesus apart from the rest of the world will not be this idea that we just have to win better, but this idea that we are called to a higher authority. We are called to be reconciled, not only with God, but with each other. That we are called to be reconciled, 
in spite of our differences. My goal would not be for all of us to assign to one political party. That we would all just instantly agree on on who the elected officials should be, regardless of whether or not it's the president, the governor, the senators, representatives. that, that, That my goal is not that we would all just agree on that, but that despite those differences, we would be able to come together this morning and agree on worshiping Christ. And that we would be reconciled through those differences. This morning, I want to read out of the Gospel of Matthew, um, chapter 5, just kind of some setup. Um, In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew 5 through 7 is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you've never read um, the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety, I I would encourage you to do that. Take some time this afternoon. Maybe you don't even know what you believe. You know, maybe you're like, I don't even know if I'm like really sure about Jesus, who he was or whatever. That, that's fine. I am so glad that you're either in this room or watching online. I would encourage you, whoever you are, to go ahead and go read those passages. Matthew 5 through 7. This is Jesus's like, like thesis. You know, he's like, this is what I'm about. This is I'm really setting the stage for the rest of Jesus' ministry. He says, like, this is what I'm going to do is in Matthew 5 through 7. And in Matthew Matthew 5, Jesus is setting the stage and he is doing um, what typical rabbis, what typical teachers do. Um, And and it's called building a hedge around the Torah. They would take like a law, they would take a thing and they would say, you have heard that it was said this, but I say to you, I'm going to add this. Like it's not only that, but we're going to add to it. We're going to increase the law. We're going to increase the authority in that passage. And so Jesus is doing this very typical rabbi thing and he says this in Matthew 5, 43 through 48. If you have it on your phone or have a Bible with you, I encourage you to grab that. Whether you're at home or, or if you're here, I encourage, you know, it's helpful for us to read the Bible. I, you know, I think it's a good thing. Okay, um, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This was the law portion, right? This is the thing that's in the center. You, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, this hedge around the Torah, this, this protection around the law. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For God makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. And then he says this, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I think this is helpful for us this morning. Jesus talks about what we are to do with our enemies. Right? Like how we are to be in relationship with our enemies. Now, I want to be aware this morning that, that we do, in this country, have military enemies. That there are people out there who would seek to do us harm. And I want to thank our veterans this morning. We are preparing for, for Veterans Day. We, we are so thankful for each and every one of you who have done your service to protect our rights. Be able that we can come here and worship so that we can vote, so that we can do these very basic things. I want to acknowledge the fact that we have military enemies. But... If we can't reconcile with our ideological enemies, if we can't reconcile with our political enemies, if we can't 
be in relationship with our neighbors, our family, our friends, if we can't be in relationship with them because we disagree about some small political idea, then we will never stand against our military enemies. And, and so Jesus says this is how we are to operate with our, um, with our enemies. He says that you have heard it was said, right? You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Jesus said this is a very basic idea. This is, this is what, you know, a lot of people, how a lot of people operate. And this idea that Jesus is addressing is called retribution theology. Retribution theology is the idea that there is a divine and immediate reward or punishment based on your actions, right? This is kind of the idea of karma, right? This retribution theology, if I do something good, God will reward me immediately, right? If, if I, you know, put a dollar in the offering plate, then I will get two dollars. If I, if, if I make this sacrifice, God will immediately do this thing for me, and if I do this wrong thing, God will do harm me. God will, will cause harm to me. And this is, this is the idea, right? This was retribution theology, and Jesus is challenging this. Jesus is turning it on its head and saying, that's not it. That's not how God operates in this world. And so he continues to, to turn this over on its head. And he says, this, is, this idea is ridiculous, that if you believe that God operates in this way, if you believe that God is retributive, if you believe that God is, is constantly punishing you or harming you based on your actions, then not only will you operate that way towards God, but you will operate that way towards other people. Right? That, it, that if we believe this about God, then, then we will also believe this about other people. That if there are people out there who are, we consider our enemies, if there are people out there who disagree with us, then we will seek to do them harm as well. And he said this is very damaging. And he says, and besides, it doesn't even set you apart. Listen to this. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? Jesus is saying, look, it's easy to love people who love you. And then I love it. He says, even tax collectors do the same. The irony there is that Matthew, the writer of the gospel, was a tax collector, right? Like, like he's the one who's writing it. And he's saying, yeah, I know it's good business to, to love people who love you. It's good business to be good to people who are good to you. It's good business and it's smart to do those things. And Jesus says, if, if my followers do that, then there will be nothing that makes them separate. There will be nothing that, that makes them special. There will be nothing that makes other people look at them and notice that they are following something different than everyone else. Jesus continues and says, and if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Do not even Gentiles do the same. Right? If you do these things, don't even Gentiles do that? Gentiles, who is that? Anybody who's not Jewish. In this time, it was anybody who is not Jewish. And, and they worked very hard. They worked very diligently on, on separating themselves and saying, this is, group is select and we do all of these practices. We have all of these rites and rituals so that we can acknowledge the fact that we are, we are selective. And, and there was this great pride at being different than Gentiles. And Jesus says, look, if you just love people who love you, and if you greet your brothers and sisters, and those are the only people you talk to, don't even Gentiles do that? You're just operating like everyone else. And, and so what Jesus does is he challenges this idea. He challenges the idea of retribution theology with something that we might call reconciliation theology. Reconciliation theology is this idea that we have been saved from ourselves. And reconciled to God despite our own actions. Reconciliation is this idea. It is, it is combative of retribution theology. It says, no, 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 that's not it. It's reconciliation theology. It's this idea that we have been saved from ourselves and reconciled to God despite our actions. 
Notice the difference there. Right? Notice what's different about that. Jesus came and he saved us. Not because we had done anything to earn it. But he saved us so that he might be in relationship with us. And Jesus says, if you believe this, if you believe in the grace of God, if you believe this, then you will start to operate differently, not only in your relationship with God, but also in your relationship with other people. Notice how this works, right? Everything we believe about God affects our relationship with other people. If we believe that God is vindictive, we will be vindictive to other people. If we believe that that God is out there to, to punish, then we will punish other people. If we believe, on the other hand, that God is graceful, if we believe that, that God has done everything in God's power to be reconciled with us, then we will do everything in our power to be reconciled with other people. Jesus says, look, instead of operating in this way where you, where you love your neighbor and hate your enemy, I encourage you to think of God as this reconciled God to you that has done everything in God's power to be reconciled with you. And if you do this, Jesus says, I tell you in Matthew 5, he says, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What would it look like if we started to operate in this way? What would it look like if we started to love our enemies? I have a feeling that our our comments on social media might look a little different. That our conversation with our friends and our family member about those people might look a little different. Maybe the things we say to ourselves while we watch the news, the, th- the things that we complain about whenever we're talking with our spouse or our friend, the things that we happen in our narrative, in our head, if we started to believe that Jesus is actually calling us to love our neighbor and, that might, and, and, and our enemy, and that might be the person who is on the opposite end of the ideological or political spectrum than you. Because everybody, everybody has people they disagree with. It's not special just to to have an idea and then meet people who disagree with you. Everyone has that. What's different about Christians, what's different about people who follow Jesus is that we are actually encouraged to love those people and, and, and not only do that, but to, but to pray for them, but to actually pray for them and, and not, notice the prayer is not that God would change them, right? God, I want you to change their mind. God, they're on the wrong side of this. I want you to change their mind. The, the prayer is not that God would change their mind, but that God would change our hearts, That God would give us compassion for them. And that if we can't get to that place of loving our enemies, that we would pray that God would give us the love for our enemies. And Jesus says, if you do this, if you do this, he says this, that we would be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. 
Now, this idea of, of perfection, you know, some of us are like, ah, I, I don't know about that, right? Like that's, that sounds kind of high and mighty. That sounds like, you know, like a bunch of kind of arrogant Christians who, who say that they are perfect. That's not the idea at all, right? The idea is not that we would, we would load kind of our actions above somebody else's. But here's the idea of Christian perfection. Christian perfection is simply this, being more like Jesus today than you were yesterday, that's all Christian perfection is. This idea that, that, that we would be perfect is not this idea that, that you have some you know, special thing that you're supposed to you know, brag to your neighbors. But the idea is that today you are to be more like Jesus than you were yesterday. And then tomorrow you'll do the same thing and we'll continue this. And so that we are more like Jesus every single day. Notice that it's about you. Right? We're, we're, not, we're not talking about somebody else. You're, you're not comparing yourself to somebody else and saying, well, at least I don't do that. That's not Christian perfection, right? It, well, it, well, at least I'm not like my neighbors who, you know, had a wild party last night and, you know, and there was trash all over their front yard and, you know, they don't even edge their lawn, you know? Like, like the idea is not that you would brag about uh, that you're better than somebody else, but that today you would be more like Jesus than you were yesterday, that you would seriously evaluate yourself. And say, you know what? Yesterday I, I wasn't as loving as I could have been. I wasn't as graceful as I could have been. I'm going to do better today. And that you would pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to reign within you so that you can be more like Jesus. That's Christian perfection. That we would be more like Jesus, so much so that we would be able to pray the prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross. That we believe that when, when Jesus was crucified, that when he was dying, Jesus looked around at his enemies, right? These were, these were people who sought to do him physical harm. There were people surrounding him who were jeering at him, who were making fun of him, who were, who, who were constantly yelling at him. And in the midst of that, as Jesus looked out at these people who, who sought to do him physical harm, as he looked out to them, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When was the last time we prayed for our enemies? When was the last time you prayed for the Republican Party? When was the last time you prayed for President Trump? When was the last time you prayed for the Democrat Party? When was the last time you prayed for President-elect Joe Biden? When was the last time that you prayed for somebody that you systemically disagreed with and you prayed not that God would change their mind, but that God would change your heart? When I was in about fifth or sixth grade, I... Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed school. I had a good time. And, um, but when I was in fifth or sixth grade, you know, I experienced the, the attention of a bully. Like so many other kids at, at that age, you know, it's just kind of an awkward stage. And so we're all kind of going through these things. And, um, and, and, and I had experienced his attention, and I, and I just really didn't like it. And it just somebody really, it wasn't physical or anything. It was just kind of comments, you know, that made me feel a little bit less um, about myself. And, and so I didn't really know what to do with this. And, and so I, you know, went to my parents and I said, hey, you know, this thing is going on. There's this kid and, you know, he's just not very nice. And, and my, my parents did um, kind of what any good loving parent would do. They overreacted, <laughs> right? 
um, you know, it, it hurt them, you know, like, there was so much outside of their control. This thing was happening at school. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, they, they, they called just like a bunch of people. You know, they called my, my teachers. They, um, they even called my principal. And, um, and, and then later, you know, they came and told me, you know, we've talked to your principal. We've talked to your teachers. You know, we're going to get this figured out. And I was just going, oh, my gosh, you know, is this going to get worse, you know, and all these things. And, um, and so this went on, you know, a few more days. And, and I had noticed, you know, that my teachers weren't necessarily sitting me next to this kid when, you know, it came time to do group work or whatever. And, and, and it was fine, you know, it, but it still kind of went on. And, um, and then there was this moment that um, I actually got called into the principal's office. So I was sitting in class and, um, and came over the, you know, speaker and said, you know, can, can Andy come visit, you know, Miss Rowe um, at the principal's office? And, you know, of course, you know, all the mature sixth graders went, ooh, you know, like, like something had happened. And, um, and so I got up and went into Miss Rowe's office. Miss Rowe um, was really a, an awesome person of faith. Um, she, was, um, she was Catholic. Um, which uh, in the small town of Kuwait, Oklahoma, I'm pretty sure meant you had to have like a work visa or something. To that's a joke. That's no. Um, um, no, she was she was a great person. She was a great person, and and I sat down at her office, and I'll never forget this conversation. I, I honestly can tell you what she was wearing and and what was going on and uh, what she had on the walls and and just everything about this conversation. She sat me down and she said, "I understand that this is happening. There's this kid who's been bullying you," and I I said, "Yeah." She said, well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And then she said, you know, he's moved and three times in four years. You know, he, he lives with his mom. And he doesn't know his dad except for the fact that he sends him a check for $100 on his birthday. And then she said this, I'll never forget it. She said, that must be pretty hard. I, I got to tell you, that was not the conversation I expected to have. I wanted some compassion. You know, I... I wanted some sympathy. I'm, I'm the one going through this, but instead, Miss Rowe and her wisdom... allowed me to see what it was like to be somebody else in that moment. She said, it must be pretty hard. You know, soon after the bullying stopped, not because that young man's situation changed at all, but because my heart was different. I think that's the power we have as people of faith. So I'm going to encourage you to do a few things this week so that we can really gain this holistic perspective of what's going on in our nation. I'm going to encourage you to do, um, to do three things. The first one is this, and, and I've never encouraged anybody in, in church to watch a movie before, but I'm going to encourage you to do this. Um, if you have not yet watched, um, please watch The Social Dilemma. Has anybody seen this yet? Um, it's incredible and accurately um, depicts what is going on in our, um, really our world um, 
at the hands of social media. Um, it's a, it, it, it's, I would strongly recommend that you watch this um, and, you know, go home tonight and, and watch this documentary. It really accurately describes that we have created silos of ideologies in our country. We've created silos so that we can't even imagine what it would be like to be the other person. So I would encourage you to watch this. The second thing I would ask you to do is this. Pray for people with whom you disagree. Pray for people with whom you disagree. That, that if you uh, disagree with the incoming president, if you disagree with, with Joe Biden, that you would, you would pray for him. And if you disagree with our outgoing president, if you disagree with President Donald Trump, that you would pray for him. Again, not that God would change their mind, but that God would change your heart. The third thing I encourage you to do is this, that assume they're doing their best. Assume they're doing their best. Uh, in, in her book, um, Daring Greatly, Brene Brown says this. Uh, if you haven't read this book, I would encourage you to do so. It, she says this, she says, all I know is that my life is better when I assume that people are doing their best. Keeps me out of judgment and lets me focus on what is and not what should or could be. What if we did this in the world? I think this might be the thing that sets Christians apart that causes us to look like a city on a hill and a lamp on a stand. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.